Hello and welcome to another fully booked podcast from Carmarthenshire Libraries. I'm Estelle. And I'm Kari. Today we will be discussing a project that the reference department team have been working on and that is called Life in Lockdown. Hello Kari. As I mentioned in our introduction, the reference department of Carmarthenshire Libraries have been busy prepping for the Life in Lockdown exhibition that's to be held on the 8th of January 2022. Could you give some background to this project then, Kari? Yes, of course. This project has been about 18 months in the making, to be honest. As a reference department, we discussed that we wanted to capture history during these unprecedented times. We wanted to capture local people's experiences of life in Carmarthenshire during the COVID-19 lockdown of 2020 and 2021. To achieve this, we've asked members of the public of all ages to share their photographs, stories, poems, diary entries, social media screenshots, drawings or anything else that they wish to contribute to for us to record how local people adapted. You certainly have been busy. So why do you think that this is important to capture this information? Well, the reference departments in Armour for Carmarthen and Llanelli Libraries have a variety of local history information and this project will only add to that rich collection. COVID-19 has affected young and old alike in different ways and this social history aspect is something that we're trying to capture for future generations. With this in mind, we hope to show how people kept in touch with family and friends, uh, for example, how birthdays, weddings and other events and personal milestones were celebrated, how shopping has changed, uh, whether people maintain their physical and mental well-being, how homeschooling worked, how children coped in general, clap for carers, how, pe- people were, how, pe- how people's working lives changed, how people managed while places of worship were closed. We would like those things from frontline workers and possibly those who've had to adjust to working from home to redeploy our furloughed staff. Um, also, not forgetting local writers, artists and photographers because, um, you know, they can record their observations and reflections on a crisis during this exhibition. Whoa, Carrie, that is quite some list you got there. It is funny just listening um, to everything that you've listed, including um, the clap for carers, which I remember doing on a Thursday evening. That just seems like such an age ago now. Uh, and also regarding the homeschooling side of things, lucky my, my son is uh, too old for schools now. But I've got some friends and relatives who have had to do this. And I know that it was a challenge, not only for them, uh, for the parents, but also the child as well. Um, I think I'll contact them tonight to sort of see if they've contributed to this project and uh, see if they've had similar experiences with other um, mums, dads and children in the area. Have you had much contributions from the public at the moment, Carrie? I was just thinking not just of individuals, but schools and groups, etc. out there as well. Yes, the public as ever have been so supportive of this project. It's been an interesting time for both myself and my colleague based in Carmarthen Reference Library going through all the contributions. I suppose I'm quite interested to find out what other people have learnt during uh, this time of lockdown. Have they learnt, I don't know, like new skills or a language or whether like the rest of us with Joe Wicks in the the mornings they're trying to do a keep fit session? 
yeah yes we have um there's been some people who said they've gone back to art a lot of people saying they've taken up art for the first time um so we have got quite a lot of artwork uh, that which will be part of the exhibition um we've also had people saying they've not been able to meet up with friends um so they've talked about that um talked about redeployment and we've had some poetry as well quite a bit then quite a bit yes I suppose instead of looking at lockdown as in a negative way then, did you have any uplifting stories um, that you're able to share with us as a, a preamble to the exhibition, um, you know, of like families who had been separated but managed to um, come together again now? Yes, we have. Um, we've had a few people saying that they've now been able to meet up with family. You know, they may have had a baby during lockdown and obviously during that time they have been able to visit each other. Um, so there's been that period of time where they haven't been able to um, meet the new baby. So, you know, obviously the relief then when they have been able to meet up with their friends and family. When and where will the public be able to view this exhibition? Uh, in 2022. There'll be an exhibition at Lettley Library from the 8th of January 2022 during normal opening night hours of the library until the 22nd of January um, and then it'll move on to Almondford Library from Saturday the 29th um, until Saturday the 12th of February and following that it will then be in Carmarthen Library from Saturday the 19th of February to Saturday the 5th of March. You said that the Life in Lockdown exhibition will start on the 8th of January next year and then move around the three regional libraries of Armonford, Carmarthen and Llanelli, which no doubt will give everybody some time to have a little look around um, and see what you've uh, collated together. Um, I was just wondering, can the public still contribute to the Life in Lockdown project? Yes, the public can still contribute towards the project. Um, it may not be part, the, the contributions may not be part of the actual exhibition because of timing, but obviously the project will continue and then the contribution will be part of the collection and for future generations. So how can the public get in touch with you then, Carrie? They can get in touch with either myself in Tlenelli Library or my colleague Catherine in Carmarthen Library, either in person on te- by telephone or by email at libraries at carmarthenshire.gov.uk. Um, details are on the Carmarthenshire County Council website. Just a little question for you, Carrie. Uh, some people don't like putting their names down to certain things. Would they be able to uh, contribute this anonymously, as it were? Yes, absolutely. If they wanted to remain anonymous, that would be no problem. Oh, that's fantastic. Many thanks. Thank you. Well, from making current history in life and lockdown to looking back at history and looking at our local newspaper section, Past Papers. This time we're looking at a number of articles from the Carmarthen Journal, credited by kind permission of the Wales Online website. Early winter of 1821 was very stormy. In November there had been loss of life at sea due to gales, and chaos had been caused at Milford Haven when ships broke free from their anchors and smashed into each other. The bad weather continued into December, and in the Carmarthen Journal of December 21st, 1821, 
there was a report of a man injured due to the inclement weather. It is with deepest concern that we announce an accident of the most melancholy description, which took place last night. Mr Edward Davis, of Fever, in this neighbourhood, had been attending a meeting as a magistrate of the county at Abergwilly, and was returning to dine at home when his horse took fright at a vivid flash of lightning. Mr Davids was thrown and a dreadful fracture of the skull took place. He was taken to the neighbouring cottage and from there on a bier to the White Lion Inn, in this town where he now lies in extreme danger. The gloom which this accident has spread through the place may be easily imagined by those who are acquainted with the amiable qualities and disposition of this gentleman. By searching for Edward Davids on the Ancestry Library edition, I discovered that Edward, an attorney at law, succumbed to his injuries two days after being thrown from his horse. He was aged just 41 years old and left a wife called Elizabeth. He was buried at Trelechar Betus, despite living in Land of Ilog. A further search of ancestry reveals that Edward Davids had not left a will and so had died intestate. Although his wife Elizabeth was his next of kin, the papers of administration show that Edward's sister Catherine Elizabeth had taken control of Edward's finances. Elizabeth, his wife, signed a paper handing over responsibility for administering his affairs to her sister-in-law. The documents did not give a reason for this. Property also suffered damage due to the stormy weather and the Carmarthen Journal reported We are given to understand that about 80 squares of glass were broken at Capel Dewey by the tremendous hailstorm on Tuesday morning also, great damage was done to the windows at Parr's Castle in this neighbourhood. A search of the tithe maps on the People's Collection Wales website shows Parr's Castle near Upland Arms, a couple of miles outside Carmarthen. But on the tithe map, the property is called Parry's Castle. It was in the parish of Flanderbylog, where Edward Davids had his home, and as the crow flies, Parry's Castle is only a couple of miles from Capaldewi, where substantial damage was also done. A search of the National Library of Wales catalogue reveals that a book was published in 1776 with the intriguing title A Short Account of the Life and Transactions of Levi Nathan, in which is included part of the life and behaviour of Mrs Maria Parry, wife of Edward Parry, wife of Edward Parry Esquire of Parry's Castle in the county of Carmarthen. There is more research to be done on the history of Parry's Castle, but the date of publication of this book tells us that Parry's Castle was in existence prior to 1776. Parry's Castle still stands today. Despite the poor weather, trade had to continue, and in the same edition of the Carmarthen Journal, the ship's news recorded the comings and goings at local ports. Newspapers are a good source of information about shipping and the transport of goods. Each week they listed the names of ships, their masters, what they carried and where they were coming from or going to. That week boats brought sundries, salt and coal to Carmarthen and took sundries to Southampton and Llanelli and tinplate to Newport. 
Llanelli Port was busy too, with boats bringing in sundries from Bristol and bricks from Bridgewater. Several ships were loaded with ballast, including one from Brest in France, which meant they had no cargo aboard and were coming to collect goods to take elsewhere. The importance of the coal industry to the Athletley area is confirmed by the list of ships leaving the port that week, as all 11 were loaded with coal or culm headed for Carmarthen, Cornwall, Devon, Ireland or France. Local newspapers give us a window into ordinary people's lives. For the poorer in society, a newspaper article may be the only glimpse we get of them. One such person was a woman called Emily Baker. In the following report, we even get to hear Emily's words. Carmarthen Police Court. On Wednesday last, before the Mayor and John Hughes Esquire, Emily Baker was charged by Mr John Oriel, Master of the Workhouse, with destroying her clothes the previous evening. Prisoner said, It is true, I did it. Mr Oriel said the prisoner came to the Union on Monday night and was admitted to the casual ward after kicking at the door and cursing and swearing for half an hour. At first she had no order for admission, but ultimately she went to the relieving officer and obtained the order. Next morning he went to the vagrant ward, the porter having told him that she had torn her clothes. She was in bed and had torn every rag of her clothes and even her boots. He asked her why she had done so, but she only laughed and did not answer. She had seven and a half pence concealed about her. Mr Hughes said she ought to have been searched, for she was not entitled to admission. Why should the parish be saddled with such people? She is now attired in clothes the property of the guardians. The prisoner was adjudged an idle and disorderly person and sent to Gaul for a month. Prisoner, a month will do me no good or harm, so you had better put another on to it. She treated the matter with much levity and was then removed to prison. The Union Workhouse was at 1 Penland Road, Carmarthen. Some of the buildings still stand today, although they are in poor condition and some have suffered fire damage. Under the 1834 Poor Law Amendment Act, unions made up of groups of parishes were required to build and administer workhouses to address the problems of poverty and perceived idleness. There had been a workhouse on the Penland site prior to 1834, but the amendment was quickly acted upon and the site extended. This contrasts with Lampeter, where the building of a workhouse was resisted until 1874. During the Rebecca riots, the workhouse at Carmarthen was a focus for rioters. Carmarthen Library holds a transcript of an account of life at the workhouse, written by D.J. Evans, who worked as a porter there in the 1930s. His description of the conditions there makes one wonder why Emily Baker was so keen to gain entry. But his account also offers clues as to why Emily may have destroyed her clothes. The weather in December would not have been pleasant for anyone without a roof over their head, and the casual or vagrant ward would have at least offered some respite. It would not have been for long, however. As DJ Evans tells us, the rule was that vagrants would be given a maximum of two nights bed and board, and they had to work the day in between to repay the union. This work might take many forms, but one of the most disheartening 
was the breaking of stones. Vagrants would be locked in a cell with rocks and a hammer and would not be let out until they had broken the rocks into small enough pieces to fit through a grill in the wall. These stones would then fall down a chute into a pile outside the wall of the workhouse where they would be collected and used to mend the roads. After the second night, vagrants would then be expected to move on to another union. D.J. Evans also describes the problem of fleas and lice in the clothing of vagrants in the 1930s. This was also likely to have been an issue 60 years earlier when Emily Baker paid the workhouse a visit. The newspaper account suggests that Emily damaged her clothing on the first night. She would have had to be reclothed and shod at the expense of the Board of Guardians, and even if they were not new, they would at least have been pest-free. Having been taken into custody by the local police, Emily was likely to have been housed in the cells at the police station at Cambrian Place, while waiting to appear before the magistrate the next day, thus avoiding her day of work for the union. She was then sentenced to a month's custody in jail. Here at least she would have a roof over her head and food and drink, albeit basic fare and would not have to tramp to the next union. Her circumstances must have been difficult if the workhouse and prison were better than the alternative. According to Pat Molloy in his book Four Cheers for Carmarthen, at the beginning of the 1870s, Carmarthen had the highest annual death rate in the country, and almost 13% of townspeople were destitute. Carmarthen was a town of contrasts, where wealth and prosperity lived cheek by jowl with poverty and misfortune. The Welsh Legal History website, available at welshlegalhistory.org, has links to the Carmarthen Jail Felons Register 1844-1871 database. This fascinating resource enables users to search the register of felons held by Carmarthenshire archives. It even has photographs of some of the prisoners. Sadly, there is no record of an Emily Baker. A search of the 1871 census records reveals no Emily Baker living in Carmarthenshire, which suggests she may have travelled in from elsewhere. There is an Emily Baker recorded as serving a one-month imprisonment in Somerset for larceny in April of 1871. Is this the same woman who turned up on the doorstep of Carmarthen Workhouse on a cold December evening, demanding to be let in? We may never know. In December 1921, disaster struck as a fire destroyed Carmarthen Electric Light Works. Soon after 1am, a policeman in Guildhall Square and some people returning from a dance in St David's Memorial Hall observed a glaring light in the sky, and on proceeding to the Electric Light Works, they found them ablaze. Despite the best efforts of the local fire brigade, they were unable to save the building and had to focus on preventing the fire from spreading to neighbouring properties. It was fortunate the wind happened to be in a direction that carried the sparks away from Waterloo Terrace and other houses close by. The noise of the explosions was so loud that they were heard as far away as Llanstephan and inhabitants of Waterloo Terrace reported being thrown off their feet. 
The move to electric lighting from gas had only happened in the previous decade and it was just one year before the fire that the gas street lights had been removed by the borough council. The people of Carmarthen were forced to revert to using oil lamps and candles. Great care had to be taken when walking through the town without street lights. At that time of year it was dark by late afternoon. The mayor issued this notice to the public. Owing to the electric power station having been destroyed by fire and consequently no electric current being available for lighting the town, the town council are taking steps to provide temporary lighting at various road crossings which are considered dangerous. In addition, and in order to prevent accidents, the public are asked to do all in their power to assist the town council in this emergency, and particularly, one, to confine vehicular and other traffic as much as possible between the hours of 7am and 5pm, two, to do their shopping in the daytime, and three, to take all necessary steps to prevent children playing on the streets after dark. The Carmarthen Journal came to the rescue of some of the businesses in King Street as they hired machinery from the International Harvester Service that produced enough electricity to keep their printing presses going, as well as four other businesses and a street lamp close by. The Ivy Bush Hotel also quickly installed their own generator, so that by the evening of the fire they were able to trade as if nothing had happened. Not all businesses had made the switch to electric light, so the post office, for example, could carry on as normal. A farmer in Johnstown had a different solution. In Johnstown, which is part of the borough, the emergency caused by the plunging of the town into darkness has been successfully met. For the purpose of supplying electricity to his farm, Councillor Thomas Williams of Pontegarig, near Johnstown, had installed a dynamo engine which is propelled by a water wheel belonging to the mill close by, and he kindly offered to supply current by connecting the town system at Johnstone with his own installation at the farm. His offer was gladly accepted by the Electric Light Company, and since Sunday evening, Johnstone is enjoying public illumination once again. It is fascinating to find out that renewable energy was being produced 100 years ago. There was even an article written by an engineer printed alongside the report of the fire, suggesting that a solution to the production of energy could be turbines harnessing the power of the tide in the River Towie. You have as water power in the Towie a matter of millions of tonnes of energy passing over its bed below Carmarthen, nominally nine hours out of every twelve. That is the first fact to digest. This volume runs out to sea in the form of tidal water at an average rate of six miles per hour. Just fancy this enormous pressure concentrated upon submerged turbines for 18 hours per day. It would yield enough motive power not only to supply Carmarthen with cheap electric power and light, but to meet an almost unlimited demand. Remarkably, electric light was restored to Carmarthen after just eight nights of darkness, much to the surprise of the town council, who had expected repairs to take until the new year. After thanking the electric company for their efforts to get the lighting back so soon, the mayor added that he wished to thank also the inhabitants and those persons who were good enough to exhibit lights in their windows. He thought that they had prevented many a mishap, and he was glad to report that nothing untoward had happened during the crisis.
hope you enjoyed those articles from Carmarthenshire Journal and also enjoyed today's podcast from myself, Estelle and Carrie. Please don't forget to either contribute to Life in Lockdown Project or come and see the exhibition in either Carmarthen, Armourford or Llanelli, all starting from the 8th of January. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you all. Thank you for listening to our podcast and to keep up to date with Carmarthenshire Library's events and opening hours during the Christmas period, please visit either our Facebook or Twitter pages. Finally, I'd like to wish you all a Nadolig Llawen and Blwyddyn Newydda. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you all.